When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before there was IMDb.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. <laughs> Either way, we know movies. And even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah. This is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Hi, friends. Thanks for joining us for another wonderfully nostalgic 80s episode of $2 Late Fee. Zach and I love making this show, and we really appreciate that you listen to it. Without you, the audience, there would be no show. Well, that's not entirely true, because let's be serious, we'd probably be making this even if nobody listened, but it does feel good to hear, doesn't it? On today's episode... Zach sat down with one of our favorite 80s icons, Mr. Robert Bob Romanus, most well-known as Mike Damone in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. In our previous episode, we discussed the movie in depth, and today, Zach and Bob sat down for an extremely thoughtful conversation about Fast Times, about acting, about music, and about life. And as you'll soon discover, Bob is very much Damone. He's just kind of right here the whole time. You know what I mean, right? I woke up in a great mood. I don't know what the hell happened. And speaking of waking up in a, in a great mood, on the day of this interview, I woke up greeted by bright flashing in front of my eyes, signaling that a migraine was on its way. And oh, arrive it did, my friends. So while Zach had the pleasure of sitting down with Bob, I was suffering in darkness while one of my dogs aggressively humped both of my legs. They're very similar experiences, I imagine. Anyway, please enjoy. Bob Romanus, thank you so much for joining us on $2 Late Fee. Uh, my pleasure. <laughs> if you, you may or may not know, but $2 late fees in reference to the good old days of video stores and not bringing a movie back on time. Sounds and... familiar. <laughs> you didn't rewind. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You, <laughs> if you didn't rewind, you get charged a dollar. And my partner, Dustin and I said, you could get charged up to $3 extra, which Amazing. in that day and age was a lot of money. So nowadays, not so much. <laughs> Might as well take it home, watch it again. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's what I usually did. Uh, well, I did that quite a few times with one of your movies that's for sure. Well, actually, a few of them. But uh, thank you for being on our show. This is sure. really great. You just got back from a week-long uh, trip 
down memory lane, so to speak, right? And in, in um, yeah, Dominican in the Republic? Dominican Republic, a uh, place called Punta Cana. It's an all-inclusive uh, resort, and they have this 80s week all week long. Everything 80s, clothes. Everybody's wearing things, T-shirts and stuff from the 80s. They have music. Uh, bands playing cover bands playing 80s songs and then they have you know real artists like uh this year paul young was there and tom loke and uh wow sammy hagar and uh lita ford i mean it was an amazing every evening there's a like a big concert or something and and all day long people sit around in the pool or out at the beach and just uh people are coming up would you like a drink sir would you like a drink sir would you like a drink sir (laughs) And so they just sit there getting bombed all the <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like uh, quite a fun time. Well, it's an all right time. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, those acts that you just mentioned are not anything to shake a, shake a twig at or I'll whatever the expression you, is. I'll tell you, Lita Ford blew me away, man. Yeah, she's phenomenal. Oh, my gosh. Why she's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet, I have no idea. Well, it's a... Uh... It's not over yet. Yeah, that's true. That's <laughs> true. Know? She has. She. She. I would not be surprised if she winds up in there soon. And Sammy, come on, Sammy Hagar. He's a. He's a. Uh, a classic man. Yeah. He really is. You know. And I think he had like. Uh, <clears throat> Jason Bonham on drums. Oh wow! And someone you know somebody from I don't know some big, eighties band on guitar. I yeah. mean, it was just. Uh, it's just a great. It's a great uh, time. That sounds. That yeah. sounds fantastic. I mean, did he? He didn't do. Uh, did he do the Fast Times or Ridgemont High song from the uh, from the movie soundtrack? <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember hearing that one. <laughs> <laughs> Probably that might not be in his like regular, um, you know, rotation, yeah, so yeah, to speak. Yeah. It's one of my favorites, though. Back in the day, <laughs> you you you've had quite a career. Not bad. Quite a life, actually. Not bad at all. Yeah. yeah. You started out. Well, in the in the late seventies, early eighties, right? I came out here in nineteen seventy six. Wow. Yeah. And did acting bring you out to California? No, I came out my uh my dream was to be Doc Severinson's drummer on the Tonight Show. Wow. Uh if you know who that is. I know who he is. <laughs> For those that don't, Doc Doc Severinson was I mean, he was the man before uh, all the other bands. Yeah, he guys. was Johnny Carson's uh you know, band for Almost his whole time there, mm-hmm. really. And they do all kinds of different music and stuff. And I had played drums, and I had a quite a, a variety of background. That was my dream, really, just to sit up there and surround myself with cymbals so you don't even see me and just kind of play <laughs> all kinds of different music. And uh, and that didn't happen. <laughs> so, um, so I got a job as a, uh, a singing waiter. Okay. In a restaurant here. And I was terribly shy. And, uh, you know, I couldn't, it was very hard for me to get up and sing a song in front of, uh, you know, a crowd. Especially for someone who's shy. Exactly. You know, but I did play a little guitar at the time. Okay. And uh, so I went and took an acting class to get over my nerves. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just fell in love with the idea that I could be anything I want to be on stage. And so that sort of took over for me, although I still play music and never stopped playing music. Uh, acting became my focus. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about in a little bit later in the program uh, your music that you've been working on for the past few years because we've checked it out recently and we love it. It's oh, great. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, Papa's Kitchen, but we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that later. So singing waiter. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't even think those are around anymore, right? Well, n- not this place or anything like it. You might go to Michelli's and get an aria or something. Okay, you know? yeah, but, there you uh, go. You know, these were singer-songwriters who would get out and play their songs. And, you know, wow. at one time, uh, Ricky Lee Jones was there. And, uh, oh, wow. You know, uh, let me see, Eric Lowen and Dan Navarro. I don't know if you know Lowen and Navarro. Yeah. You know, they wrote... They wrote that song, We Belong, while they were at the restaurant, I think. You know? Wow. Yeah. Back in the days of uh, getting tips and... Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly wow. right. In the uh, middle of a heartfelt song, someone will come up and ask you if they could have a rib with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's another rainy... Oh, yeah, sure. More Coke? Got it. Okay. So uh, how long have you been a drummer? Well, I started, uh, I started playing drums when I was about eight years old. Wow. And uh, I used to just have stacks of records and would just play to them all day long. And then uh, when I was about 12 or 13, my neighbor uh, had been going to Berkeley School of Music in Boston, and he was uh, studying drums. Okay. So we would get together, and he really opened up my world to jazz, and he really opened up my world uh, as a drummer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just sort of... I barreled into it. I, I, I would play, you know, hours a day whenever I wasn't wow. uh, in school or doing something I had to do. I was probably playing the drums, you know. At dinner at the dinner table, were you playing with your utensils at the uh, – <laughs> was that a big no-no? <laughs> <laughs> My brother's a drummer, so I that's uh, what happened in our house. I'm always tapping on something, you know. <laughs> Are you familiar with Gary Chester? No, who's that? He was a drummer for Jim Croce and Sinatra. Oh, and, oh uh, wow. Good friend of mine. That's her dad. Oh, no. And so she would tell stories, those jazz drumming stories of those sessions where he'd go in to record and he'd just decide to start playing something and the band would jam out. Mm, and it's so okay. Much fun. You want to save that recording or should we, you know? And this was not in the days for those of you listening of the MP3s and you press stop and re record. This was all on tape. Oh, so, probably all live. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When kind of in my opinion, the way it's supposed to be recorded, well, you know. You know, it's got its uh it's got its own sound, which is really cool. Nice yeah. live sound, you know. And you were a guitarist as well then, right? Uh yeah. I I started playing guitar when I got to college because nobody wanted me to play the drums in the dorm. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> and I, I brought like 19 cases of drums with me oh, to, to the dorm. and uh, Yeah, no electric pad like they have no, now. <laughs> no, no, no. It was all all real stuff. And uh, so that didn't, uh, that that wasn't going to work. So I picked up a cheap guitar. Okay. And I found a few guys who played guitar. And we'd sit in the hallways or in the uh, stairwells of the dorm, you know, and they taught me how to play guitar. and. Uh, so I just, I've always played guitar. When I got to the restaurant, I, uh, they had an old stand-up bass in the corner. Okay. And, uh, nobody could play it. So I learned how to play that to accompany the people in the restaurant, so. It's fantastic. Yeah, I I consider myself a musical guy. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, like, not a master. Okay. You know, I play a lot of different instruments. I never met an instrument I didn't like. But uh, but I wouldn't say I'm a player. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but obviously music's in your blood. It sure is. Does yeah. it? Does it? Is is there anyone else in your family that's musically inclined? Well, I have an eight millimeter film clip, short one of my father, who was born and raised in Vermont. Okay. Uh, directing the uh, 
Who's the sound of music? The Von Trapp family yeah. choir. <laughs> really? Yeah, a little Abe Miller, and he's oh, wow. directing the choir. Okay. And uh, then my brother Richard, he's very musical. My brother Billy's very musical. And then I have three other brothers who are completely tone deaf, <laughs> along with my mother. It's like the story we told off the air. You know, you got a few kids that you uh, <laughs> you put all your marbles behind and the other ones, and well... Well, yeah. They're alive. They all have their strengths. <laughs> uh, off the air, we were talking about kids and, uh, you know, the engineer on our show, Mike, He's he's got a newborn or one-year-old, and we were relating about your kids are grown up now, right? You've yeah. you got a few kids, uh, yeah, two kids, yeah. right? I got twins that are 24, oh, a boy twins. and a girl. Okay. And I have a 22-year-old. He'll be 22 next mm, two weeks. Wow. So you had twins and then... Another one a couple years later. Yeah. That was a breeze. (laughs) Yeah. It really was. Oh, really? Oh, after having two. Okay. Having one's like, you know, it's like doesn't even affect your day. Don't tell my wife that. (laughs) Do Do you have twins? No, we have one. Oh. Well, have one and then have twins. Okay. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, it's in her blood, so uh, we'll oh, see what there happens. You go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember changing 16 diapers a day. Oh, my God. Imagine this is that. Amazing. So, and this is like when, you know, you you, you had kids ah, 24 years ago, so you're acting steadily and doing working quite a bit, so that's probably pretty challenging. Well, you know... Uh, you make it work. You, know? you do. You no, do. You sure. make the most of what you got, right? Absolutely. Uh, so when you get out here, you're working at this, you know, singing as a singing waiter. Yeah. How did you get your start, like, into the business? Well, I uh, I was really, really enjoying acting, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to hang out with a bunch of guys. My older brother was an actor, so I used to hang out with a bunch of actors. And one guy... Uh, I told him what I was doing. I said, uh, you know, can you get me an audition with your agent? Because mm. I need an agent. Okay. Know? And uh, I think I said something like, you know, uh, I'll give you 10% of everything I make if you if you get me an audition. So he got me an audition with his agent. And uh, Are you hustling back then too? Well, a show business is a hustle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm not – it is. It absolutely is. But uh, I wasn't pushing the envelope there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, so I got the agent, I went and did a monologue or something. I don't remember. And I got the agent and, um, the, one of the first jobs I got, which wasn't long after that was Fox's with Jodie Foster. Yeah. Meet Jeannie, Annie, Madge, and Deirdre. Not exactly the girls next door. They move to a beat all their own. They're foxes. They dare to do what others dream of. Moving out, finding a place of our own. Oh, you know, it's not just for you. My mother would love it. You look like kids, but you don't act like them. You're short, 40-year-olds, and you're tough ones. Forget your mom. You know, when you go out in the world, it gets scary sometimes. Learn to laugh a little. Oh, 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 oh,
try. Gonna stay with you tonight, Annie? Whoa. Better stick to the pill. Because you never know what you don't know, you know? Teenage dopers. What a waste. Drunken narcotics. I don't like your friends, Jeannie. I never like my friends. I'm in love with you. Do you really love me? Let's go, that's Annie. How is she? She's loaded. If you're gonna stay with me, you gotta go by the rules, and the rules are we're gonna get through high school, we're gonna pay back, Jane. I'm not coming back for you every time you blow it. Jody Foster, Scott Bale, Sally Kellerman, Randy Quaid. They dare to do what others dream of. They're foxes. And, you know, how lucky was that? I got cast as her boyfriend. It's a big deal. Yeah, two scenes, and I knew nothing about uh, acting in movies. I didn't even know what a mark was. I think I put the whole crew on overtime and <laughs> did like 25 takes of me just trying to find a mark. I mean, it was really embarrassing. But I stuck it out, and uh, and I just kept working at it, you know, and then it had been a couple of years since I even had an agent or had done Foxes, and HBO had just started, Okay, and they were running Foxes as one of their movies. I love Foxes, personally. Me too. Yeah, I think it's a really good coming-of-age movie. Well, me too. I think it's a great, uh, a great uh, visual of what the Valley was like in the 70s. Totally. So anyway, uh, my mother came out to visit. And I said, what would you like to do, Ma? She said, uh, well, let's go to Schwab's. I don't know if you ever heard of Schwab's or remember it, but, no. you know, it was, a, it was on the corner of Crescent Heights and Sunset, and it was in a, a pharmacy with a little, like, cafe in there. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, rumor has it that, like, uh, Gloria Swanson was discovered there. Oh, you wow. know what I mean? And a, a bunch of actors used to hang out there all day and all night in the cafe, you know, with their racing forums, and they'd be talking <laughs> about showbiz and just kind of a community hanging out. Yeah. And uh, so my mother wanted to see if she could see any stars. So we went to Schwab's, and I'm sitting there, and this guy walks in, and he says, hey, I saw you on TV last night, a show called Foxes. I said, uh, oh. He said, you were really good. I said, thanks. He said, do you have an agent? I said, no. He said, do you want one? I said, sure. And uh, wow. so I started working with him, and I think maybe the second or third audition he sent me out on was for Fast Times. Wow. And, uh, like, he was not a big agent. He was just this, like, little guy. His secretary was a phone machine. He had a little office down on Melrose, you know. So, uh, yeah, he sent me out on Fast Times, and uh, I auditioned for that. And that took about seven weeks of auditioning to get that part. Wow. So you kept, they kept having you come back and... Every week. I'd, uh, you know, first audition, Amy Heckerling says, don't cut your hair. I thought, ooh, hey, I got a shot. Yeah, right. And uh, so I didn't hear anything for a week, and then I figured, well, I didn't get it. So then I get a call. They want to see you again. So I go in, I do a couple more scenes, and uh, she's like, you know, thumbs up, and I leave, and I, hey, you got a shot. And then I don't hear anything for a week, and I okay. figure, oh, I didn't get it. This goes on for like seven weeks. At the end of about seven weeks, <laughs> a little stressful. I had gone to, Amy had taken me to wardrobe and to makeup. I had auditioned every scene in the script and done improvs. And, uh, 
And then on that, that last meeting, uh, I think I looked at Art Linson and said, you know, I really like the part. It was very emotional, up and down. You know, you got it, you didn't get it, you got it. Yeah. Not like I knew it was going to be a big movie, but, you know, it was a nice part for a guy who's looking for work. For a second big film, yeah. And I think I said, I love the part. I think I do a really nice job, but I'm not going to come back again for you. And right there he said, uh, wow. welcome aboard. Wow. And uh, so that's how I ended up getting fast. Universal Pictures presents everything you always wanted to do in high school with everyone you always wanted to do it with. Hey, bud. Let's party. They're the students of Ridgemont High. <laughs> Brad Hamilton, the fast food king. I shall serve no fries for their time. It says 100% guaranteed, you moron. Mister, if you don't shut up, I'm going to kick 100% of your ass. Charles Jefferson. A man with a mission. Oh, gnarly! Linda Barrett. Not exactly the girl next door. Awesome! Totally awesome! And Jeff surfs up Spicoli. People on moods should not drive. That was my skull. I'm so wasted. See Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Fast Times Ridgemont High is considered the quintessential film of the 80s. Teen, drama, comedy, you name it. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that this small film, and I, we, we had just had Diane Franklin on our show, and she was in Last American Virgin. Yeah. And we talked about the similarities and differences between the two. Um, and one having a very downbeat ending in Last American Virgin, but a very realistic one, and the one in Fast Times, which in many ways felt very realistic as well. But here you are a part of a film that has stood the test of time. Not only that, it's in the Library of Congress as a national treasure. So you're a national treasure. I am a national treasure. So welcome More to donuts. the show. <laughs> Maybe I should reintroduce you as uh, Bob Our Romanus, America's national treasure. There you have it. <laughs> wow. That's quite a compliment for sure. Yeah. I mean, so obviously you have uh, – good feelings about this movie i would assume of course yeah well you know it's uh you know the story behind how it was written right i do but would you mind sharing it with the sure. audience sure you know cameron crow he wrote the uh he wrote the book i think when he was 22 years old he went back to high school and enrolled as a senior yeah in claremont high school i think in san diego and he spent the year hanging out with these kids and he didn't tell them what he was doing and he, he'd, uh, he, you know, I think he told me, it's so long ago and stories get, you know, confusing. But of course, yeah. I remember, I remember sitting on the set with him and him saying, we were talking about the five-point plan and him saying that uh, he was sitting having pizza with everybody after class. And that subject came up and one of the kids said, what you need is my five-point plan. And he said he was, he went in the bathroom, he wrote it all down on a napkin. What do I say to her once we get in the car? No problem, Rat. What you need is my special five-point plan. Come on, Damone, I need real help here. What do you mean? Hey, men have died trying to obtain this valuable information, you know. But I'll give it to you for free. Okay, okay, what's your five-point plan? All right. Now pay attention. First of all, Rat... 
You never let on how much you like a girl. Oh, Dabby. Hi. Two, you always call the shots. Kiss me. You won't regret it. Now, three, act like wherever you are, that's the place to be. Isn't this great? Four, when ordering food, you find out what she wants, then order for the both of you. It's a classy move. Now, the lady will have the linguine and white clam sauce and a Coke with no ice. And five. Now, this is most important, Raz. Comes down to making out. Whenever possible, put on side one of Led Zeppelin four. So wow. my point is that it's it's written right out of the mouth of babes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the themes that are covered are universal themes no matter what decade you live in. Totally. You know? Yep. And I think that's why it resonates. I don't think there's one scene in that movie, and I've seen that movie countless times, um, that I don't think there's one scene in that movie that necessarily feels dated in the sense that it's so relatable, like you said. Yeah. You know, and that you can't say, well, you know, there's a film, um, oh, what's it called? Uh, up, not Up All Night or uh, After Hours. Oh, yeah. Right. I love that movie. But it, it's not a movie that would be it would be hard to relate to now because everyone's got a cell phone or there's some sort of, you right. know, because he doesn't have a f- able ability to get to a phone. Fast Times, though, I feel like is one of those movies that we've all been there in some respect. Everybody has – everybody can relate to one of those people yeah. in Fast Times. And I don't care if it's the 50s or the 60s nope. or the 70s. You know, there's the guy who's trying to hustle up some money. You know, there's the guy who's confused about his love life and and trying to meet girls and trying to figure that all out. Yep. You know what I mean? There's a theme for everybody who watches it. I'm in love. The mustache coming in red. Almost precedent. I'm in love. You. Are a wuss, part wimp and part pussy. What do you mean, wuss? This girl is my exact type. All right. Where'd you see her? My biology class. Did you get a number? No. Did you get a name? No, no, it's too soon. It's never too soon, Rat. I mean, a girl decides how far she's going to let you go in the first five minutes. Well, what am I supposed to do? Go up to this strange girl in my biology class and say, hello, I'd like you to take your clothes off and jump on me? I would. I mean, I can see it all now. This is going to be just like last summer. You fell in love with that girl at the photo mat. You bought $40 worth of fucking film, and you never even talked to her. You don't even own a camera. Well, you tell me, Mike. What should I do? This is what you do. Start from the minute you walk into biology, guys. I mean, don't just walk in. Don't move across the room. And you don't talk to her. You use your face. Use your body. Use everything. That's what I do. I mean, I just send out this vibe, and I have personally found that women do respond. I mean, something happens. Well, naturally, something happens. I mean, you put the vibe out to 30 million chicks, something is going to happen. That's the idea, Raz. That's the attitude. The attitude? 
Yeah. The attitude dictates that you don't care whether she comes, stays, lays, or prays. I mean, whatever happens, your toes are still tapping. Now, when you got that, <laughs> then you have the attitude. So, uh, yeah, I think that's why it, it has resonated for so long, you know. I have a lot of compassion for your character in that movie because I just feel like you're Though you are presented in in this way of being a hustler and trying to get the latest score, and you're also compensating for this idea. Like, I, I kind of have I've, I've have I feel like your character has a lot of heart, and and there's this glimmer at the end when the dance happens and everyone's jumping around. Like you've made up with everybody. Like you know, you screwed up. Well, you know, it's a you know it's. A, He's he's not a bad guy. No, I don't think he is either. He's kind of a victim of his age. You totally. know what I mean? Yep. He's pretending to be a big shot. I I I, uh, I assumed. I don't know if this is even true or in the book or whatever. But I assumed he was a transplant mm. from say like New Jersey. Yep. And he's in a new school environment. Yep. And he's a kind of acting like a big shot to make friends and stuff. You know, wants people to respect them. So. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's it's more naive than it is anything malicious. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, I totally, that's exactly how I felt about it. Yeah. And, you know, when I was trying to, working on the part, I, I watched a lot of those old crime dramas with like Bogart and Eddie, Edward G. And, yeah. <clears throat> because you love those guys. Yeah, you do. And they were bad guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> They were criminals. They were bad yeah. guys. They broke the law. But you loved them and you rooted for them. And, uh, and I kept thinking that you can always see where, they're, where they came from. You know what I mean? You can, get a, you can get a sense of why they are who they are. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I kept thinking, well, maybe he's a transplant and he just wants to be a big shot, but he's not really a big shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. He doesn't know anything about sex. And maybe he, you know, is good at selling concert tickets, but that's about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's, uh, so anyway, those were, those, uh, that was an influence I looked at a lot before I, feel, I started shooting that. Why do you like these guys? I feel like his connection with Rat is, is a perfect ex explanation for that because Ratner is a good kid and he wants to be with a good guy. He's of not, course. He's not, he's not hanging with the, with the bad crowd. No, he's a good, solid kid, you yeah. know. And uh, I think he... I think he's right when he says, uh, you know, I'm your I'm your friend because no one else is, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because everybody says you're this. Yep. And, you know, I used to say you're not. Yep. But, you know, so. Sticking up for your buddy. Yeah, exactly. It, it was a nice relationship in that movie, actually. You know? Yeah, I love I do love that final scene with you guys because it's like you kind of made up you know it's all good now and that's and it, what happens and it turned around it did yeah where he he's now the smart one yeah you know yep. and demands the sort of a, <laughs> mm, fuck it, up it's the no no it's all good uh the bulldog and the chihuahua you know yes the exactly. Warner Brother cartoon or whatever it was yeah you know? yeah yeah <laughs> the roles have reversed spike you talked about uh yeah exactly <laughs> you talked about how some scenes were improvised in that movie Right? Do you remember? Well, not a lot of improvised scenes. Okay. But some lines. Okay. You know, like uh, pretty much what you see is written on the page. Okay. You know, that's that's all Cameron Crowe. 
But like, you know, in the locker room scene when he gets thrown up against the locker in the end and he says, I don't know what happened. I woke up, I was in a good mood. You know, that was an improv. Felt like like it needed a little button. (laughs) You know what I mean? You just want to, don't want to just leave it with him leaning on the locker. Felt like it needed a little button to me, so. That's what I said the day uh, our president was elected. So. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Yeah, exactly. I might have actually quoted you on Facebook. <laughs> oh, my God. I hear you. <laughs> but that's a perfect button. Yeah. Because I've used it often. And so. uh, where'd you get that out of the hamper? That might have been, a, I think that was an improv. Oh, my uh, gosh. You own 40, 40, you bought $40 worth of fucking film. I think you don't even own a camera. <laughs> That, I think, was an improv, too. There are a couple of things like that, little line, yeah. you know, here and there, maybe to put a button on the scene. But for the most part, that's all Cameron Crowe's great writing. Well, you had some great buttons. Though. I mean, yeah, the script is phenomenal, but yeah. clearly you, it, was, it, was, it was magic, magic in a bottle. I agree. Great. And, you know, I've seen, uh, I've seen the best scripts yeah. with the best actors and best directors and best producers and cinematographers come out like shit. Yep. And I, you know, I've always maintained that you can have the best of everything, but you really need a little mojo. Yep. You know what I mean? And uh, I think Fast Times absolutely had a little bit of mojo that just really made it work all the way around. Yeah, it had that spark that, uh, and the fact that Amy Heckerling was the director, that was kind of an unheard of thing back in the day. Yeah, that was her first feature film. It's amazing. Uh, she had done a film, I think, at NYU, which was about coming of age. Okay. Which helped, uh, I think, to have her direct that. And, you know, she's amazing. I just love her, man. She's got such a great eye for casting. She knows how to work with actors and and really gets the best out of e- each actor in however she needs to. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not like she treats everybody the same way. She t- treat you how you need to be treated to get the best performance out of you. So That's quite a vision. It really is. I mean, she's really uh, really a good director. Well, the 80s had, I mean, I'm a child of the 80s too, product of the 80s, and uh, I feel that, to me, it was the last decade of those coming-of-age movies. I mean, the 90s kind of touched on it a little bit, but the 80s really, you know, even going with summer of 42, you know, and mm-hmm. and... and Foxes was 1980, yeah. right on the cusp. So here we are. There's so many great coming-of-age movies from that time period, and there really haven't been that many since. Why do you think that is? Do you have any any feelings about that? Well, I, I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the generations I, have changed, though, you know, so much. We talk about, I think that's why there's so much retro nostalgia nowadays for everything 80s, you know. Yeah, that's a, that's always a, a, a. I I still can't quite figure out why the '80s are so popular. Okay. What comes to mind to me is that, and I've been thinking about it because I do these '80s events, you know, and mm-hmm. people are rabid oh, about yeah. the '80s, you know. And uh, well, one thing that comes to mind is it was before the internet, mm-hmm. right? So, however that affected life. <laughs> Maybe was the uh, the 80s was the last time we'll have that kind of life before mm-hmm. now we have the internet and all this influence from everywhere. You know what I mean? So I, I haven't quite figured out how it affected it. 
But I think that it's the one thing I can think of in the that's different from the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden now we have the internet and you're connected to everything. And, you know, albums aren't popular, but singles are popular. And yep. you know what I mean? The whole thing's kind of changing. So not sure, but it, it, it's uh, people sure are uh, in love with the 80s, you know. Yeah, they are. I mean, yeah. I you're that, that's the reason why we have this podcast, yeah. because we <laughs> we love that trip down memory lane. And I, I think it's that last reminder of the intimacy that uh, that we're kind of lacking now because there's so much accessibility. You yeah, know? maybe. So, I what what uh, what sort of music were you listening to back then, back in the '80s? Well, uh, you know, I guess I was listening to I liked singer songwriter stuff. Uh, I wasn't really a, a like a heavy rock guy, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up listening to pop tunes on AM radio, and yeah. I still did you know, in the 80s, all yeah. the way through. I listen to the radio. This is what's popular. And, uh, but I've always listened to guys like Dylan and, and uh, the Beatles and the Beach Boys. They were always, you know, uh, in my car. I love the Beach Boys. Uh, Van Morrison, Leon Russell, mm-hmm. J.J. Kale. You know, I like... Uh, I like a little more, uh, I'm not sure what to call I guess maybe acoustic rock, yeah. you know. I liked Springsteen, you know. He was a big part of the 80s. And uh, My son does, too. And does he's he? five. Yeah. He, ah. So there's a radio station that plays, it's called The Bridge, and it plays a lot of singer-songwriter music from the 60s and 70s and 80s. A lot of Jim Croce and I love um, Jim Croce. I love Jim. He's so great, and my son loves him too. And and um, there's a song though that comes on. I think his name's Michael Murphy. It's called Wildfire. Wildfire. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah totally. <laughs> and and so you know, he's at an age now where he understands the lyrics, or he's he's more so than he did when he was four or three. Uh-huh. And uh, we're breaking it down. One one day the song's playing, and if he likes something, then he'll say, "Do it again, do it again." So we play the song like five times in a row, and he goes. Wait, she died? She, she, the horse oh, died? Yeah. I go, yeah. And so we started taking it apart. And for those of you that don't know this song, it's it's a beautiful song. It's beautiful. But it's got, such a, it's got such a tragic story to it, you know? And this woman's horse goes off into the middle of winter and she falls it and dies. And he goes, his her boyfriend or the guy uh, that's in love with her goes after her and he dies too probably. It's tragic. Wow. And he says to me one day, brushing his teeth and getting ready for, ready for school, and he says... He goes, Daddy, I really love that song. It's a really sad song. And I said, yeah, what, what, do you, what do you think about that? And he goes, well, things can be really beautiful, but really sad, too. A profound. And I said, how old are you? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that that's on right. heavy rotation in our, in our wow. house for sure. So, And he listens to a lot of vinyl. <clears throat> I think it's a beautiful thing when, it, when you can hold up a record to a kid and say, look at these lines. You see these lines on this thing? There's music on that. Yeah, I remember sitting down reading every every lyric on the vinyl, you know, opening up. Sometimes there's a poster. You yeah, know what I yeah. Mean? Was, <laughs> I still have some of those cool. posters. It was cool. You're sitting under your black light with your headphones totally. on and listening to Yes, you know, oh. Roundabout oh or something, you know, with the, finally with the headphones. With the headphones like, on. Holy shit. <laughs> it's life-changing. It really is. <laughs> well, you, we shared off air that... Uh, we both have a similar background in teaching, and then you were a teacher of young children for quite a while. And, yeah. And yeah. you, uh, did you have any, did, when you talk to younger kids, 
what sort of influence did you have on them? Like anything musically? Well, uh, when I taught preschool, just teaching a kid how to open up a juice box is pretty pretty amazing. I think, you know yeah, what I mean? for sure. Or how to open a banana. Yeah. You know, a lot of times uh, you can't open it from <laughs> the way you think. No. You turn it over, you pinch the other end. That's what monkeys little do. things like that, you know, uh, teaching a little kid how to play ball, how to catch a ball. And just to see the look on their faces when they accomplish something is really, you know, really cool. Um, I, I didn't influence any music that I had on these kids yeah. uh, or acting. Uh, I would always let them tell me what they wanted to do. That's great. Uh, so we, I would have, like, when we'd make little films, I would sit, I'd have, you know, 20 kindergartners, and I'd break them up into two groups and take them one at a time. And we'd sit around the room and we'd break a story just like they do in television. Awesome. You know, <laughs> what awesome. do you want to make a story about? Uh, aliens chasing gum chewers. <laughs> I said, I love it. I love it. How, where are we going to get a spaceship? The thing and the thing and the, you know, in the, in the playground, that could be your spaceship. And so, you know, we developed this whole story. And, uh, yep. and so whatever they wanted to do that was appropriate, that's where we started. And musically, too. Uh, I didn't teach music, per se, as, uh, like, the notes mm -hmm. and things like that. I said, if you have an instrument sitting in your room, bring it in. Okay. And they would bring in their instruments. And I'd set them up in the little groups around school and say, like, the, the fifth-grade girls were really, you know, good musicians, you know. So I'd let them go off and do their own little band thing. Cool. You know, and then anybody who didn't really have any training, I'd have a jam session. And we'd all pick a part, you know what I mean, uh, using percussion too. It's great. And just kind of have a jam session and just sort of uh, enjoy it that way. Rather than making it more of a task, I uh, try to make it fun for them. Something about, like you said, letting the kids bring it to you, you know their ideas, their stories versus putting on them what your expectations are. Yeah. And it's amazing that switch that goes off, Oh, that connection, right? Well, you know, they they get enthused by that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, as opposed to me telling you how I want you to do it, tell me what you think. Right. You know what I mean? And then they can start getting a little enthusiastic about it. And you hear what they have to say and you guide it a little bit, you know, or you or you run with it. We've had some great uh, little films, you know. They had the second graders. <laughs> they came up with this thing called uh, Martin Luther Kid. This was okay. their idea. What would it be like when Martin, Martin Luther King was a little kid in the playground? Mm. You know, and this was a very diverse school. Yeah. So we shot this whole little movie about... Uh, this little girl getting picked on in the playground and Martin Luther kid, that's what they call it. I love it. Came up and, and started telling them, you know, this isn't right. You shouldn't do this. You know, it was like, wow, this was your idea. It was like fabulous. That's awesome. Yeah. A second grader. Yeah. 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 I had a, a similar school that I worked at diversity wise. And, and we talked a lot about social justice and how, I went to a conference once with uh, where I met the Dalai Lama, Ooh. and um, 
and there were ton, 10 of the top neurologists in the country that talked about teaching empathy from zero to three and the importance of that yeah. and how if we can teach a child to play guitar and then the, the next Jimi Hendrix or Stevie Ray, Stevie Ray Vaughan, why can't we have the next Mahatma Gandhi, the next Martin hmm. Luther King at that age as well? And so empathy to me has always been more important than math and reading and writing because all that stuff's going to come unless there's some sort of learning difference going right. on, you know. But right. empathy, I think, can be so hard for kids, especially at that age, to understand why is she crying, you know, and why do you feel that sadness when you see someone hurt, you know. That would be a great thing. You know, everybody should be able to feel a little empathy for, for everybody. Right. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. absolutely. But if you got second graders making a movie about Martin Luther Kidd, they're on the right track. That's your future right there. Yeah, yeah. they're on the right track. Oh, amen you know. to that. How long were you a teacher for? Well, I taught at the country school for probably about six years. Wow, okay. And then uh, from there, I got a job teaching kids with behavioral problems who'd been thrown out of the school system, teenagers. And uh, they there was a little little place uh, way out in the valley behind this old body shop near the train tracks that had like five trailers. And that wow. was their school. Wow. And uh, <laughs> my very first day there, I, I you know, it's all gated. Yeah. So I finally get through the gate and I go into the office. I say, I'm looking for the principal. She says, well, he's out back. Just follow that path. Okay. I follow the path. I walk around the building. There's a big circle of kids, and two kids in the middle are just pummeling each other, wow. really beating each other to, to a pulp. And I see this guy standing over in the corner, and I walked over to him. He looked like a security guard or something. I said, I'm looking for the principal. He points to the center of the circle, and there's the principal. He's the referee of the fight. <laughs> oh so I'm like, what the hell did I get myself <laughs> oh, into here? Oh, shit. Uh, and, uh, so that, these were tough kids, you know, for sure. Um, some had criminal backgrounds, some just were truant, never showed up. Some yep. were gang members or whatever. And, you know, after about three weeks of me trying to, you know, go through like acting exercises to kind of get them connected to themselves and mm -hmm. that, all that good stuff that acting can do, yeah. they were not interested they were like, you know, F you, man, you know. So uh, I was about to quit when one of my friends suggested I, I bring in a movie camera, a video camera, and make some videos. So I came in the next day. I put the video on the desk. And one by one, they walked in. They all noticed the video camera. And they're all hmm. like, hey, man, you want to make a movie? And before I knew it, we were all working together on making a movie. And uh, one of the girls was studying prohibition. Okay. Right? They all were studying different things. They could not work together in a classroom. So each one had a different, Jeez. you know. Yeah. Um, it's challenging. So we decided to do a, a movie about prohibition, right? Uh, I took them all to uh, co Western Costume. Yeah, I remember I got, Western costume. I got them all suits. It's great costume shots. All suits with the guns, you know what I mean, and the hats, and we dressed like the 20s. Cool, the untouchables. The body shop had a couple of old 30s cars in the in the, in the the lot, so we used those. Right on. 
I uh, we got the principal and a couple of teachers to play key roles in the movie, and we shot this great movie. And the beauty of it was, um, everybody could be involved because you know if you're camera shy, you can work behind the camera. Yeah, you can help with sets, you can help with wardrobe, you totally. can run the camera. You know what I mean? There's lighting. There's so many things that you can do to be involved. So. The beauty of this for me was that uh, everybody was working towards one goal. Yeah, you brought and, them all together. And that was not something that they could do with these kids. Yep. Unfortunately, uh, in California, they used to pay schools per uh, student. Yep. You know, you get so much money per student. And then they changed the law that you get so much money per attendance. Yeah. And these are kids that, you know, they don't come to school. No. They wake up in the morning, they, you know, buy a pint and they go to the arcade. Yep. So uh, this school closed down after one year mm. because it could, didn't have enough funding. But that was the, uh, that was the, the, uh, the beginning of that program that I brought over to the country school. That's fantastic, though, that you were able to get this camaraderie. Everybody loves movies. Yeah, everybody you know, does. Everybody loves movies, <laughs> and everybody wants to be in one or or making one. Yeah. And you know, this is their this is their medium. Well, you, yeah, you yeah. think about when people get together, especially families, and you sit around the table, and no one wants to talk about certain things. You know, politics and religion, right? They always say those are big no nos at a say Thanksgiving or whatever. Yeah. But movies, television, music—those are the things that kind of connect us. It right? will take a conversation from a two to a ten. You know, Absolutely. you're sitting around, what'd you do today? Eh, nothing. You know, how was school? Eh, was all right. You know, hey, did you see this movie? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 right now, I love the fact that, you know, I've got a kid who who wants to kind of explode these ideas, right? And and I hope it stays that way. I want to cultivate that. But but always that connection to coming back. I work with older kids to this day still, and, and, that's, and they're very influenced by the 80s now. And hmm. they think I'm somewhat of a cool guy, so... Like, well, tell me more. Tell me more. And I'm like, well, you tell me. Like, what are you interested in? You know, yeah. like, what, what, what was it about that story that got you excited? You know, but um, you have like a pr pretty huge catalog of television that you worked on as well. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you, you, you went from. Was there any? Did did you enjoy working on television more than film at that time, or? I enjoy working everywhere. All right, cool. You know, uh, <laughs> they're all different. Yeah. You know, working on a film, you might do three pages in a whole day. Working on uh, a television show, you might do 10 or 12 pages a day. Wow. Working on a soap opera, you do 60 pages a day. Oh, my gosh. You know, working in the theater is very different because, uh, you know, in the theater, the writer is king. Mm -hmm. He has the final say of everything. In television, the producer is king. You know, and in film, the director is king. And each one is kind of a different, a whole different uh, beast. Do you have a preference? No. Okay. You just like the work. I just love to work. I'm never more happier than when I'm on a set. Was there a show that you worked on back in the day that you were like, I really love that role. I really related to that guy, you know, or? <laughs> All of them, man. <laughs> but, you know, I'll tell you what show I absolutely loved working on was yeah. Fame. Quite hit it off just right So I thought I'd give you a call It's getting off on the wrong foot, honey It's not getting off at all 
been walking a lonely street I seen you walking it too So if you're thinking maybe Listen to me baby It's only one thing you can do Trust me Give it a try Trust me Why would I lie Trust me Now what can I do for you Checks in the mail, trust me, and I just might trust you to me. I was going to say, I was hoping you'd say fame. You know, fame I was... I loved that show. Oh, it was fantastic. Your and, role was fantastic. And these kids, man, they were the hardy, hardest working kids I ever saw because, yep. you know, they're, they're on the set at 6 a.m. shooting all day long. Yep. They leave the set, they go to the studio to record the songs, right? And then they go to dance rehearsal to re rehearse the choreographed numbers. They work their butts off. Yeah. And, you know, on the set of Fame, the dancers, <laughs> they'd be like doing flips down the hall as you're hanging out. And it was just such a nice vibe, you know? Yeah, I don't know if, any, if, if, if people are unfamiliar with Fame, the TV show, the movie had come out a few years prior, and then yeah. this TV show was on for quite a few seasons. Yeah, it and sure it was. was. A, um, a continuation, basically, with new characters. Yeah, it was the uh, the School of the Performing Arts in New York, you yeah. know. And uh, one of my thrills was uh, Lee Ving was my friend oh, nice. <laughs> on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Lee, oh, man, I bet you Remember? got some great stories, Lee oh, Ving. Well, we used to work at the restaurant with me. Oh, really? Yeah. The singing Lee waiter restaurant. Lee Ving. Lee Ving. The, the lead singer of Fear. Yeah. <laughs> was singing in a, in a singing waiter's restaurant with me. Lee Ving, this punk rocker, heavy punk rocker, who's been in a myriad of, of, of great roles in film and television. Oh, he is the decline of Western civilization. Absolutely. You know, and, uh, wow. and he sang in, in one episode of Fame, he sang To Dream the Impossible Dream. Really? And he sang it like an opera singer. Wow. It was beautiful. I mean, that's that's a great memory for me from Fame. Yeah, Fame was, I, and I loved your role, and I think that was the first role I saw you in post Fast Times, and it was just such a great uh, reconnection with you. Where I'm like, mm. yeah, I, yeah, I want to see Robert Romanus back on TV. <laughs> you know, it's such a great feeling. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about, you know, Rough segue. Well, it continues with the music and fame, but Papa's Kitchen, your band. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's not really a band. It's me and my songwriting partner, Steve Feldman. Okay. And uh, probably about 20 years or more uh, ago, we, uh, he, he, he used to work at the restaurant too, right? All right. So All we've right. been friends is, for a long time. Yeah, this restaurant connection. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, and so one day we decided, uh, you know, just to get together, we said, well, let's get together two days a week. All right. Uh, I think it was Tuesday and Thursday nights. And uh, we would record, and but not write. Mm -hmm. What we would do is sit down, like I'd sit down at the drums and I would just play for three minutes. Okay. Anything, right? And then he'd sit down and he'd put a guitar track on it. Anything, 
one take. You only get one take. All right. And then we put a little bass, and then we'd sing our miseries of the week. You know what I mean? <laughs> Whatever pain in the ass was happening that week usually is what came out in lyrics. Boys and girls, girls and boys, little something that you might enjoy. In case your day has turned a little sour Clap your hands and stamp your feet What a pleasure that we all should meet Let's ride this groove into the wee small hour Tell me something I don't We did that for a long time, maybe a year or so, uh, religiously. Yeah, twice a week, and uh, and then after a while, we just, we started just writing actual songs, and uh, I think now we have nine CDs out. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's Papa's Kitchen dot com. Yeah, Papa's right? Kitchen dot com. Order directly from there, or iTunes, iTunes, Spotify, and. Uh, and we still get together uh, every week. That's and great. Uh, Steve now, he's done a, he's just finished up uh, his own solo album. Okay. He writes like 12 songs for every one I write. <laughs> I'm, I'm very musical. I love the music. I love arranging. I love going in the studio and building a song, you know. Yeah. And Steve, he's like a wordsmith. He sits down and, and he writes these great uh, stories or really heartfelt songs and uh and we we're really a nice collaboration so uh he just finished that up and uh and then so what we do now is we get together once or twice a week and we jam and we work on getting better at being musicians <laughs> i saw i uh, i'm a big fan of uh stephen bishop and uh, yeah, uh, I love him. and he um i was at a hotel cafe years ago and this singer songwriter's on stage and she notices, well, I noticed Stephen Bishop sitting right in front of me. Didn't hurt the fact that there was a little card on the table that said Stephen Bishop too. But <laughs> I lean over to my wife. I go, you know who that is? On and on. And, you know, it might be you. And, and she, she's like, oh, yeah, because it's like our song, you know. And, uh, and, she, and the singer-songwriter calls him up on stage. I don't know if it was planned or not. But he goes, okay, yeah, I'll do a couple songs. Three songs later, you know, I'm sitting six feet away from him. It's this idea of singer-songwriters just connecting and wow. riffing with the crowd a little bit. And, uh, you know, I love that idea of music, just to sitting down and jamming, seeing what comes out. Me too. Me too. For me, it's uh, – and same with acting. I rarely go back and watch anything I've done. Okay. I rarely go back and listen to anything I've done. 
for me, the the joy is all in the process. Yeah, I can relate to that. You know, uh, putting it all together. When it's done, I listen to it. I go, ah, I like that. Yeah. And then I'm off to something else, you know, because going back and re-listening, you know, uh, once in a while I go back and I'll go, yeah, that was, or hmm, maybe we <laughs> could. But uh, it's all in the process. So, Is there a song that, that you've done with Papa's Kitchen that kind of stands out? That where you're like, yeah, that's a great song. I got a few of them, I'll be honest with you. Okay. Uh, one is one that I wrote for my daughter uh, called uh, Let the Dancing Begin. I think that's on, uh, on number eight, our number eight CD. Okay. Uh, we might play a little bit of that if that's oh, okay. Okay, sure. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I have to be. Uh, I have to, something has to be really on my mind for me to write about it. Yep. You know what I mean? I can't, I, I can't just sit down and like think up an idea. Mm-hmm. It's got to be something that's eating at me. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why I write one song to every 12 that he <laughs> writes. But, uh, but yeah. that one song was the song. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think <laughs> I, I like Annabelle's song, you know, okay. it's called, uh, Let the Dancing Begin. Yeah. That's your daughter, Annabelle? Yeah. I was going to go back really quick to the idea that, 
you know, you love just you just love the work. You just yes. want to be working. Is there any projects you're working on right now? Gee, you know, uh, or uh, any upcoming films or television coming out? Well, I got a I got a film called Genesis that's out now in the film festivals. It's playing in Venice, California this weekend, I think. Oh, great! Um, called Genesis. It's a sci-fi comedy kind of thing, uh, and I was booked. I think uh, I put this on hold for a second. I was supposed to go up to Spokane. Oh yeah, okay. And shoot this film called Monsters of Rock. It's uh, it's about. It's about the 80s concert tour Monsters of Rock that happened in the summer. Yep. And, I've been uh, to quite a few of those. <laughs> and they they were going to go to Spokane. Okay. And uh, I was going to play a high school principal. And that's a really cute little project. Uh, funny. Little high school thing again. Uh, Sammy Hagar is in it. Um, Joe McHale and uh, Fred Durst. Great. Yeah. And uh, it was a... A neat little script, you know, but uh, their finance, financing fell through. They pushed it to the beginning of the year. So hopefully that'll come around again. Yeah. Keep our keep our ears and eyes peeled on Monsters of Rock. Yeah, right? sure. I was pitching the idea to, to Diane when she got back from the trip because uh, she said, I really love to do like kind of a serious role, you know, a sci-fi kind of thing. And I said, what about what about you guys go down to this convention and suddenly all your – rabid fans turn into zombies and it's all of the icons from the 80s right have to band together it's a little bit of Shaun of the dead mixed huh. in with where you're become a zombie hunter and you're having to get off this island i'm in <laughs> all right I'm in. we're gonna make it happen then <laughs> can we shoot it in cabo <laughs> yeah let's do it <laughs> all right they have cabo between this date and this date yes. with uh, this much tequila on the but, lines there you go <laughs> count me in we'll make it happen um Bob, this is – oh, by the way, I have to say your your brother, your older brother was in uh, – he was the voice actor in Heavy Metal, right? Yeah, he was in Heavy Metal and Fritz the Cat and uh, he was also uh, one of the stars of Mean Streets, Martin Scorsese's uh, – That's right. Maybe first or second film that he came out with, which is a great film. Yeah, oh, I with love – Robert it. De Niro and Harvey Cartel. Harvey Cartel, yeah, yeah. I love that movie. Um, did, did you ever try voice acting? Yeah, I did a couple films for Ralph Bakshi, too. Uh, Heavy Traffic, I think, was one. Oh, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, there was another one, American Pop, I think it was called. American Pop is great. Yeah. Uh, I did a couple of voices for him there. I did, uh, um, I forget the name. It was a cartoon, a comic strip that they made into a TV show that I did a, a character for. I've done it a few times. I would love to do it, you know. Um, haven't had the opportunity, but, uh, everyone keeps saying, boy, you ought to do voiceovers. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I love when I'm a voice actor and so is my co-host Dustin. And whenever people say that, oh, you, you guys have got a, got a great voice. You should be doing voice acting. I'm like, okay, book me then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tell my agent that. So. <laughs> exactly. So, um, uh, yeah, I'd love to do some more. I got a friend, uh, who actually has written a cartoon. Uh, with me in the lead, and he's uh, presented it to Netflix, and they're waiting to hear about it. So that could be something, too. So A lot of buns in the oven. You know, uh, I, have a, I have a lot of things that I do. Yeah. I have a few different ways of making dough, income streams, and, uh, and 
that's the way it has to be. That's the way know? it has to be. That's the right. way it has to be. Well, you know? we've talked a lot about on our show of, of, of what is what is happiness to you it might be different to somebody else. And and what brings you joy in your life might not bring someone else joy, but what makes you happy, you specifically, is what's important. What I'm doing with my life is, for me, the best thing I could have ever asked for. Am I a millionaire? No. But do, is that what I want to be in life? No. You know, whatever. Doing what makes mm. you happy, right? Following your bliss is like is one of my kind of trademark lines because uh, I'm a huge Joseph Campbell fan. Huh. And just this idea that you know, when you start when you're doing what you love, whether it be movies, television, music, voiceover, whatever, gardening, and you're going to bring in those other people around mm-hmm. you, and suddenly you're going to have this great circle. And it sounds like you've had quite a blessed life so far, a good life. I got no complaints. Yeah, I got no complaints really. And, uh, you know, it ain't over yet. Can nope. you hear that? I'm knocking on wood. <laughs> is, uh, is Frank Stallone in Staying Alive saying it, it's far from over? <laughs> but, well, uh, well, Frank, I don't know. <laughs> um, Bob, thank you so much for being on our show. It's really been an honor and a pleasure. My pleasure, man. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four. Is it five star rating? <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.